7. Secret Laboratory to Reanimate Prince, formerly known as Purple Lab. Lore B68, Bureau of Bureau Naming. Lore B69. Department of Unessential Materials Backlogging. And cue the music. Okay, music on. All right, hello, new interns, and welcome to the dump. It's so wonderful to see your new, bright, hopeful, and shall I say, deeply confused faces. I'm lead dumb archivist Elijah, and I'm lead dumb archivist Zach. Now we know what you're thinking. What is this place? Why did my roommate get assigned to the FBI for his internship, and I get this shit? What is that smell? Will an act of minor treason save me from this hellhole? What you little ass associates don't know yet is this is actually the best department in all of government. Quick debrief for those not knowledgeable enough. DUMB stands for Department of Unessential Materials Backlogging. This is an essential function because if we don't store this information, no one will. Alright, now that you're up to speed, follow us. Oh, and uh, don't mind the occasional hole in the ceiling or stray coyote that wanders in. Oh, and don't touch any wires. You see, our renovations are slated for some time within the next 2 to 20 fiscal years. You know, we don't need fancy, adequate facilities that are up to code. Because we're at the forefront of one of the government's most important tasks. Making sure all randomness on this little blue ball of ours is cataloged. Why? I, we don't really know either. We just kind of do it. <coughs> but, hey, if that ambiguity freaks you out, don't worry too much. While you may lack a salary or even the slightest monetary compensation, you'll be paid handsomely in non-essential knowledge. Mm-mm-mm. All right, let's give you the rundown of how your internship with Eli and I is going to work. Each shift you have down here, we'll have a nice little chit-chat up here like we're having right now. Maybe you guys will contribute a little bit because you're kind of quiet and it's kind of freaking me out. But we're going to do that while the vault technicians try to remember the code downstairs to open the damn uh, thing up. And once they get that finally opened up, you'll follow Zach and I down a couple of rabbit holes of pure unessential goodness. One hole at a time. <laughs> Two holes with case files in them, fresh for the hearing. And you people got front row seats to the rabbit rodeo. Yeah! Hell yeah! Amen! And proud salute for that sentiment, brother. Alright, with all that government-sanctioned verbal pornography out of the way, let's get started. Alright, we will warn you, though. The information you're about to be exposed to can seem strange, shocking, or even downright nonsensical. If at any point in the debriefing of these case files you ask yourself, uh, why does this matter? At that point, you know we're doing our fucking jobs. Alright, I think that was a good first meeting. Yeah, I I feel good about that. I feel really good about that. Let's uh let's get down to the vault. Time for our first case file.
case 001Q ampersand dollar sign, the papal pariah. So our story begins back in World War II. The Pope at the time is Pope Pius XII. Now, Pope Pius XII is, let's just say, a complicated figure. He saved Jews from going to Auschwitz, but some criticize for maybe not enough. He has the church's current stance on birth control, which is still controversial to this day. He had his ties with Hitler. As I said, complicated figure. But one thing that you should know about him is he also had gastrosis. Now, this is where it ties in our actual character, Ricardo Galeazzi Lisi. Trust me, I think I got that right. I do not know. Ricardo was the Pope's good friend. He was the Pope's doctor. Most believe that he got this position just out of kind of nepotism and kind of knowing the right guy. Now, the Pope was a friend and the press was a friend. He was always looking to use his position of power as the Pope's personal doctor as a way to become more famous, as a way to gain notoriety. This doesn't really come into play until towards the end of the Pope's life. The Pope is dying because of gastrosis and other different symptoms that most people believe that Ricardo was not handling well. He was doing all of these different kind of medical procedures that were from ancient times. Most believe that they weren't really orthodox or, well, let's just say this guy would be up for a lot of malpractice suits in the modern day. When the Pope dies, he's taken to his resort in Castle Rodolfo. Ricardo here was signifying to the press if he opened up a certain window, that's when the Pope died. That way the press could have their stories as soon as they could. Actually, what happened was somebody accidentally opened a certain window to let in air because it was rather warm that day. So one Italian paper said that the Pope was dead a day before he actually died. Ooh, okay. The Pope did not believe in embalming. But Ricardo here said, you know what? Don't listen to him. What does he know? Yeah, what, what, what does this guy know? <laughs> I, should, who, who I was his personal anyway? doctor that all of you don't like. Um, I'm his personal doctor and I should be the one to embalm him. That was his wish, uh, which I don't know if you know this, but doctors don't usually handle the embalming process. That's usually taken to a mortician. Okay. But do you have like a best friend doctor? Like, I don't know. You know what? If you get a doctorate, I'll let you embalm me. Bestie. Mm. You promise on that? Because I will deliver. I'm going to embalm you so fucking hard. So as long as you don't embalm me like this guy did. He Mm. said he was taking ancient procedures that was kind of similar to the way Christ was embalmed. Instead of draining out the fluids, running chloroform through the body and everything, clearing out the system. Interns, if you have any kind of ties with morticians, feel free to correct me on this. But... Mm -hmm. He decided to wrap the body in cellophane, so Ziploc bag, put oils on the body, resins on the body, chemicals on the body. Kinky. This really kind of wasn't the best case. I mean, for a while there, it looked like this guy had the miracle cure because resin and oils are going to make the skin and everything on the outside appear somewhat normal. Also, what that does, since you didn't drain any fluids, all those 
fluids and gases were building up with inside the Pope. Mm. On the way to his procession, the gases build up so much, his chest blew out. The Pope uh, a- fucking blew up. This guy blew up the Pope. Like that Monty Python skit. But Pope. Yeah. Like and, aliens. Yeah, but seriously. Pope. Alien just... Minus the alien, of course. Minus the one that sings Hello, My Lady. Uh, like John Carpenter's The Thing, but Pope. Yeah, little known fact, the Catholic Church had a <laughs> had a play in John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> And this is where things really started to go haywire. Pretty much everyone inside the Vatican is like, we can't take, he has to go lie in state. This guy has, like most historical figures like that, they lie in state for days where people can come mourn, see the body and everything. Like uh, presidents do this all the time. They have their bodies lay in state in the Capitol building. He's in about a hundred states right now. This guy has a hole in his chest. It blew off his nose. Oh, this guy doesn't have a nose anymore. The necrosis and everything starts to get so bad that his skin has turned a bright emerald green. <laughs> Still not the worst part. The stench from this is so bad that they had to reportedly switch guards around the Pope every 15 <laughs> minutes. And one was reported to have fainted during this guard time. <laughs> Hey, yo, the Pope is blown open. You're on shift. Make sure nobody sticks anything in there. <gasps> now he, he's, he's extra holy. He's got a big hole. Please redact that from the case notes. Um, All right, you bet. Pius Twelfth, the person that took over after him, issued a ban on Ricardo from the papacy. Because not only did he... One, possibly kill the Pope with his bad medical practice. Two, blow up the Pope. Three, he took photos of this all happening and sold them to the press. (laughs) Which I don't know if you know anything about the Vatican. They're not exactly uh, just giving away photos of the Pope in compromised states, even if he's a dead body. This This man had a side hustle. Oh, trust me. He tried to sell his story right after this. The first man that this is the first man that has ever and has since nobody else has been banned from the Vatican. I, I think God's I town think blow, blowing up the Pope is, a you know, not a bad okay, reason, but like, but like, I mean, an alive Pope, I can blowing see, up Jesus and a live Pope. I can see like, oh, out, get out. And I mean, the guy was dead. All dead and wrapped up like how I wrap up my lasagna. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. It's cellophane, so it's fucking saran wrap. Not a sponsor. I, I um, don't feel like that. I don't feel like it's, that's even classified as embalming. But this guy, it, oh, it's it's not. Uh, everyone knew this at the time, too. And everyone's just like, uh, it was his friend. Just let him do it. Like, this is if you're at my funeral you just start fucking stabbing the body and you're like, this is what he wanted. And everyone's just like, yeah, just, just lay like a fat turd right on, right on top of the lid and go. Okay. And everyone's just like, this is what he wanted. That was his friend. This is it. This guy, Ricardo, in order to match this guy's level of sleaze, you would have to sell your tell all book on how you actually did the right thing. (laughs) 
He tried doing this right <laughs> after everything went down. No one wanted it. Oh, he was, this is, he this was is, asking this for is like the, 12 grand. This is the Vatican. This is the Vatican OJ Simpson with. Uh, 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 no, explain explosions. yourself on that one. Okay. <laughs> Perfect tie. <laughs> he, he rode off on a Ford Bronco. Um, <laughs> was there a horse involved? Was it white? Uh, no, not that I'm aware. I didn't do that much research to see his two? level of equipment. What? I think that, that's that's Shrek Two that has. Oh yeah, I the, need a hero. Uh, yeah. No, no, it has the OJ reference. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. White Bronco I, Chase. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. All right. Continue. I've derailed you. <laughs> he did eventually sell this book years later. You know, this guy is the only guy kicked out of the Vatican for blowing up a pope. That's a movie. I don't care what you say. That sounds like a movie. That sounds like a movie where Adam Sandler is the doctor. <laughs> Rob <laughs> Schneider is the pope. <laughs> I just think that I'm I don't think anybody wants to see a corpse turn green. Like they reports didn't say like, "Oh yeah, he was like tinted green." No, they said he was fucking emerald green with his nose off. Like, that sounds like a, that sounds seeing, like a ghoul. That sounds like a ghoul from like Fallout. Well, I remember seeing pictures of you know Michael Jackson when he was in prison uh-huh. and he had to have his nose taped. Right. That scared the fuck out of me as a kid. <laughs> and you know that there are these like Catholic families that are like, we have to go see the Pope in state. He's laying in state. Oh, Voldemort Pope. This. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's a um, Voldemort Pope. <laughs> but you got to know that there is all these like Catholic families and like, oh, let's go pay our respects to the Pope. Uh, he's been the Pope since I've known. And when they get there, they just see a guy who had to be re-embalmed, which <laughs> it was like a botch job at that. Like, he, I think it's like a two for one special. Like the you pay for the first one, but the second one's free. <laughs> Right, but you know they didn't send him to get (laughs) re-embalmed by anybody else. It was the same guy. It was still that Ricardo Galeazzi Lisi. I mean, I I don't know too much. Fool me once (laughs) about about Catholics, but I do know they are quite a a a a tradition bound folk. Where in tradition do they allow a friend doctor to handle the sacred body of? of of such a such a figurehead of your church and where's the quality assurance where's that team at where's the vatican where's the vatican qa team i believe it said in um the bible fool me once my chest explodes fool me twice my nose falls off and i'm green fool me thrice your book doesn't sell not even on amazon kindle plus or whatever the fuck the premium service is called can i wait is this book available oh i think i ooh, i believe we, i mean i was i want to wait hold on i want to see if this is available what was the guy's name ricardo here i'll type it in i'll look okay i have his spelling and i don't feel like spelling this out i want to know if i can if i can get this on my kindle today how i blew up the pope I mean, this sounds like a this sounds like a di- you, like a diversion. Like somebody was robbing the vat. Pope explodes. Who's watching the Vatican vaults? You don't know. Okay, so you can get it. <laughs> oh no! It is 
it has been republished and it is not in English. Ah. A la luz y bajo la sombra de Pio 12. I know sombra. Isn't sombra shadow? No, that's Spanish. No. Oh, yeah. This, well, Italian and Spanish are pretty similar. They're all Latin based. But it does say Pius 12 at the end. Wow. No, Sombra is a <laughs> ex- Overwatch character. It's an Overwatch character. Right. That's the only that's the only reason I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't boop you can't boop this Pope's nose. <laughs> I mean you can. You just have to just find a, it first. a safe distance from his greenness. I will be done, Papal Shrek. I think this case is resolved. What do we what do we want to classify this one? I know this is already kind of a filled subject, but I would say file this under blown up religious figures. I like it. All right, let's file it. Break time. We're not the most funded department. True that. In order to keep the lights on around here, we, like NPR, like the Department of Labor, like any other pyramid scheme, we have to have sponsors. You see, while those fancy pants over at the Department of Animal Husbandry are raking in their funding by the buckets, some people up at Capitol Hill have been talking about defunding us entirely. But you rest assured, as long as Zach and I are here, you will have your unpaid positions secured. We might mention a sponsor here or there, just to let you know how much we appreciate their donations to our cause, our mission, and we might sell a few things here and there. Who knows? You guys want to buy any chocolate? What can I put you down for? Two bars? Three bars? Ten bars? (laughs) You look like a fat ass. (laughs) (laughs) If it makes you feel better, we were husky interns too, but through sheer work, determination, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, we're extremely husky archivists. All right. Back to the case files. We're just going to eat all this chocolate, aren't we? Yeah, don't tell them that. Case file number two, coming your way. All right. Case numero do so. We got case number zero, 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 six. Six, seven. Hop on board the case file train to a little place called the United Kingdom. It's a real place. Look it up. Circa Halloween 1992. You've sat down to eat your beans on toast while you watch your favorite show on the telly. I I had bangers and mash. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I broke your immersion. Anyway, you flip over to the BBC as all British people are required to do. And you are greeted with the program you've been waiting to watch all week. A little broadcast called Ghost Watch. Ghost Watch, yeah. Ghost Watch. Bang is a mash, bang is a mash. <laughs> is anybody there? I'm over here. <laughs> it's a live broadcast of your favorite BBC reporters uh, in the middle of an investigation of a suburban family home in northwest London. Now, this uh, it's not any old house, though. This particular home was heavily advertised as being the most haunted house in Britain and was reported to have a poltergeist roaming its halls and disturbing the family of three that was living there. The commercials for this thing were everywhere before tonight, 
saying that 10 months of research had gone into tonight's live broadcast, and it all led up into, into this moment. Sarah Green and Craig Charles, both renowned BBC reporters, led the reporting at the site of the home of the Earlies. So these are, these are both prominent uh, reporters, and they actually are on a lot of British children's shows. They're, like, they're, they're known to a lot of kids. So a, a camera crew follows them around, like live documentary style, and you can see the cords laid out in this entire house. It looks like they've just set like cameras up all over this place. They got cameras in the bedroom, cameras in the living room, along with the, the live ones that are following around the reporters. When the show starts, they're not really taking things super serious. They're kind of playing pranks on one another, banging on walls, jumping out of pantries while wearing rubber masks, that kind of thing. So while the reporters and camera crew are investigating the house in North London, uh, there's a host of the show, Michael Parkinson. He's speaking to an audience back in the BBC studio, along with a paranormal export, uh, expert that they brought in to offer like insight into what's happening with the house. Just to be clear, this is, as you said, they were in kids shows and stuff like that, and they're mm-hmm. known to a lot of children. So this is right. like modern day if like Al Roker and Blippi are just fucking like, <laughs> hey, let's go check out this ghost in this haunted house. That's, that's weird. Al Roker, yes. Blippy, probably not. <laughs> they're they're basically you don't know his investigative journalist skills, <laughs> right? But they're they're just two main mainstream reporters that kids know. They're on adult mm. shows and they're on kids shows. This broadcast is going. They're back at the BBC studio. They have a number on screen that you can call in and you can kind of retell your own paranormal experiences for uh, the host to listen to, the expert, and the audience. So as the show kind of settles in and the reporters get a little more serious, they actually start interviewing the neighbors, the family themselves. It's a mother and two daughters. They find out that the spirit actually has a name. Uh, They call it Pipes. It's a nickname that the uh, early children, (laughs) Suzanne and Kim, gave to it after their mother, Pam, kept dismissing all the noises they were hearing in the house as uh, just the pipes making noise. So Pipes creative this is the ghost over here we call it your dad and i wrestling (laughs) (laughs) between the interviews that they're having and the footage they start capturing of like some kind of like weird things happening quickly becomes apparent that pipes is not a very nice ghost he's actually kind of malevolent the family tells stories of instances of stuff being shoved across the floor dishes flying off and breaking rattling in the walls which sounds like pipes you know and Pam, the mom, even has uh, scratches on her cheek that she says says comes from pipes. More people start calling in, some people that knew about the house before these guys moved in, and it kind of goes downhill from there. So one viewer calls in and explains uh, a little bit more information about the house, saying that someone had committed suicide in the house, and the remains of a mutilated dog corpse were recently discovered near the house just recently before filming. Parkinson, the host, kind of tells the audience because of what's happening and because of kind of the events that are happening in, this, in the house, they're pushing back scheduled programming. They're running like an extra 30 minutes, however long it takes to capture what he calls extraordinary events. Now, this is like a this is like a hard ass reporter guy. So as they cut back to the house, there's louder banging. Uh, two of the daughters being yanked and disturbed in their sleep, like pulled from their beds, objects being thrown around the house. And as this is happening, more viewers are calling in uh, with stories just recently of similar events 
to all the things that Pipes is doing, they're saying is happening in their own house. My house has pipes too. <laughs> and then part of their like research group and along with some of the calls, they find out that Pipes is actually Raymond Tunstall, uh, a former owner of the house who was also troubled by a spirit, but his spirit was apparently a serial child killer from the 19th century. They have those. It's Britain. It's old. They have a lot more fucked up shit than we... I mean, we only have to go back like 300 years. There's some fucked up... It's a fucked up 300 years, but... I know, like, the worst that we have is like, hey, there's that old racist that lived here. Right. I mean... Like them... A, a racist ghost is kind of terrifying. Oh, yeah. Don't don't get me wrong. Racism is terrifying. Uh, <laughs> that's right. We're woke. Terrifying. You're welcome, America. We're woke. Um... <laughs> As you were saying, like these houses, especially in North London and London in general, have like years, like all the way back to past the Industrial Revolution of just people who have died in this house in right fun ways and bad ways and depressing ways and just like, right. passing away from old age. I feel like it would make more sense if shit like paranormal activity happened in London. Because I feel like an ancient like demon would be more likely to exist there than in Ohio. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe like, I'm wrong. There's not going to be some girl from the 80s that's like haunting a house in <laughs> Southern California. Oh, gag onto me with a spoon. <laughs> so the host is quick to dismiss what's happening as a hoax. He's trying to calm everybody down. But the, per- the paranormal uh, expert kind of says no. Like, let's... Keep seeing what's happening here. This might actually be real. The incoming calls uh, begin to talk about more similar events to what's happening at the early home in their own houses. Um, And as one of these interviews with one of these people calling in is happening, one of the camera crew in the early home gets injured by a falling mirror that falls on him. And the activity just starts ramping up to more and more violent towards the reporters. A mirror that falls. He should have seen that coming. (laughs) Don't be rude. Maybe maybe it was the blind cameraman. <laughs> How do you know he wasn't blind? <laughs> Just follow me. Just follow me on this. Walk with me. Walk with me. Back in the studio, the paranormal expert states something a little a little strange. They say that they believe Pipes is using the live broadcast as sort of a national seance to reach into other people's homes, manifest itself there, and become stronger. By feeding on the energy. I've been saying for years, Kenneth Copeland does the same thing. Oh, exactly. Exactly. COVID-19. Imagine walking into your bathroom and there's just an apparition of Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> oh, God. I would move <laughs> I right would in there. You just hear the, the, the spectral sounds of a private jet flying over here. <laughs> <laughs> While this is happening, there, he's kind of, the expert is kind of saying, oh, no, it's real. It's real. It's real. So on and so forth. People are freaking out at home. Police are called to the home, and the reporter Charles hurriedly runs the two early girls out to safety. I should say, right before this happens, one of the girls, Suzanne, gets possessed, and her voice quickly turns into a baritone, baritone, raspy man's voice telling the crew to get out. Right. Yeah. I shouldn't, I shouldn't miss that detail. Yeah, that's a pretty significant detail, <laughs> man. Like, you step into the door, and this <laughs> little girl is like, you guys should leave. Oh, yeah, they, they open the closet. There is a Pope in there. He's green, no nose, explodes. 
they're big Pius the Twelfth fans. Probably went to go see him <laughs> in state. So anyway, Pam the mom uh, kind of snaps Suzanne out of out of this possession. Uh, Charles runs them out to safety towards the cops, while Green, the lady reporter, is running out. She gets swept off of her feet and kind of just dragged in back love. into the door. Oh, <laughs> yeah. As they're talking about this back in the studio, as they're kind of reacting to it, the the BBC studio lights start to flicker and they explode. The TV, the the studio audience is now up and running away, freaking out. Parkinson is left to kind of calm down the audience, chill him out. He attempts to continue reading from the teleprompter. Uh, it's it's just on his. It, it's like all he can see is from his nose to his chest. Um, and as he's reading, he kind of pauses and some of his lines turn, stick with me, uh, some of his lines turn into nursery rhymes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, ghost. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nursery rhymes. Ghost. Like, I don't understand. Ghosts need to get a better, like, song library. Like, right. get some Busta Rhymes or maybe some Taylor Swift. I don't know. But. Open Spookify. That's not going to scare me as. Open Spookify. Yeah, that's not share some share some. <laughs> where's where's the hosier? Where's the where's the Mumford and Sons? <laughs> anyway, it's worth it. Let me work it. I put my thing down, flip it, and reverse it. <laughs> push it, <laughs> but push it real push good. It real good. Anyway, nursery rhymes start showing up, and Parkinson, being the good host he is, uh, reads them. And as his as he does, his voice uh, slowly starts to change, similar to Suzanne, until it is the exact same voice that came out of Suzanne earlier. And uh, right before the camera is cut to black, you hear his voice or the pipes' voice, the ghost, ask if they believe the story about the child serial killer. Black. Anybody out there getting uh, uh, War of the Worlds 1938 broadcast vibes out there? Yeah, this this yeah. this this is too many like back to back to back things. Right. Well, if some of you haven't, uh, if well, if some of you aren't or haven't figured it out yet, the entire broadcast was a pre-recorded fake, a work of fiction. Unless made- it was, unless that's a fucking cover up. <laughs> Pipes is still out there. You don't know. <laughs> Pipes. He's been on the loose since 92. Just like my brother. That, that just <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds like a bad like CBS sitcom. Like, <laughs> all right, hunting for pipes. <laughs> I was going to say we it, have it, Jake the plumber. <laughs> I was going to say it sounds like uh, like a bad gangster name. Hey, pipes. it's old Pipes Malone. <laughs> what does he do? Well, he beats you to death with a fucking pipe, <laughs> and then he smokes a pipe <laughs> with your organs He's inside. Very, it's not very healthy. We tell him not to do it. <laughs> he does it all the time. Pipes, it's bad for you, pipes. So, oh, yeah, I tell him he should just take up vaping their organs. <laughs> the pipe is just—it's not filtered. <laughs> Get you an e-pipe. Uh, so yes, totally fake. <laughs> Uh, Ghost Watch was the brainchild of a horror writer by the name of Stephen Volk, uh, but he never actually intended for the show to be presented like this. It was supposed to be a six-part drama, 
with episodes episode six being basically this live recreation. So more episodic instead of like right slipping it in with an actual broadcast kind of thing. Right. But his producer was like, bro, that's how they talk there. Bro, 92, bro, it's not going to work. Little known fact, like most frat guys came from 92 <laughs> London. Everyone he pitched it to didn't understand it, didn't know what he wanted out of it. So they're like, just do the live part. And actually, it, it, it's noted later on that he was kind of into the live part a little bit. In fact, he wanted to insert uh, high-pitched noises that only pets can hear into the broadcast. So people's pets would start freaking out, too. Oh, my gosh. That's ingenious. The deception, quote-unquote, uh, was not without lack of want for disclaimer to say it wasn't a deception. In fact, the creators of the show spoke with the BBC days before the program would air, warning that it would likely cause an upstir in the audience. Uh, people would be upset. But the BBC, good guys that they are, said, don't worry, we got this, bro. One, it's going to be in the newspaper. It's going to call it a drama. We even, have, we even have a cast list there. It's going to be fine. Everyone looks at that. Everyone that reads the newspaper watches TV, obviously. The, the creators still didn't think that was enough, but the air, air date came anyway. BBC was like, we're full send on this bitch. And it definitely did have an upsetting uh, reaction in the audience. Roughly 11 million people tuned into Ghostwatch in 92. That's a big number in 92, especially in in the UK. The station that night during the broadcast would receive 30,000 complaint calls (laughs) with over 1 million total calls. That is... Worse than a Janet Jackson nipple. Right. Spooky, spooky Janet Jackson nipple. If it started talking and its name was Pipes. (laughs) As most of you probably know, BBC, huge news source, trustworthy news source. A lot of these complaints were from angry viewers that felt like, I mean, they were using, it's like if Al Roker, whatever the fuck, anyone you can think of that's a reliable news source, if they suddenly got their throats slid on live TV, <laughs> you know, and they said it was real. Yeah, this this sounds extremely gruesome, like the way that they've oh pitched this. I can understand, like, maybe making like a spook thing. Right. Like, do it like Ellen does, but instead of abusing your employees, just <laughs> have fun with it. So I, I reiterate, two of those reporters were heavily involved with children's programs and one of them was basically killed on camera (laughs) and they would later have to go on a bunch of these children's shows and say hey i'm not fucking dead i know you saw me get dragged off screaming but i'm okay Uh, a good portion of those thirty thousand complaint calls that were called in actually were from kids that were alone watching this segment oh yeah uh, just just imagine like you're a kid and like Mr. Rogers comes on. And he's like, hi there, neighbor. <laughs> I know you probably saw me get my guts turned inside out. <laughs> I just want to let you know that that's. That was all fun. <laughs> I know you watch the man real. stick a stickle and run it from me taint to nose, but I'm OK now. <laughs> that penis was the fake. <laughs> um okay i know you probably heard me saying stuff about the god cthulhu guess what i am a christian that was just the script <laughs> <laughs> okay 
So that's just the people that it affected normally. This is when it kind of gets a little dark. We'll get into that. Uh, three women who were pregnant went into the labor and went into labor that night due to the stress caused by the program. Uh, and one woman even phoned in stating that her husband had soiled himself. <laughs> and then get this. Sorry, that's not funny. 18 months. I mean, it is funny. It's very funny. <laughs> 18 months after the broadcast, a uh, medical report would be issued or would be, you know, published by, by a doctor and within that area, accusing Ghostwatch of causing PTSD in two 10-year-old boys who had watched it. This is one of the first reported cases of broadcast visual media causing PTSD in anyone. No. And with the news now, like that, that's a pretty well covered subject. Right. Like it happened a lot, um, especially with certain crises beginning of the deck, uh, at the beginning of the millennium. Right. Or the century. I mean, um, that's crazy. This is, so this is the first reported case of like PTSD mm-hmm. because of something somebody watched. Yep. And these kids had ongoing night terrors, ongoing just mental health problems due to this show. Not only that, uh, when this report came out, that doctor would receive tons of correspondence from other doctors also saying the same thing with similar cases for uh, children that they were dealing with. Okay, now here's when it gets a little dark. Martin Denham, a British 18-year-old, would be so engrossed by this program after watching it with his parents that he became noticeably changed after viewing it with his family. Uh, he asked to change bedrooms after his radiator, radiator uh, randomly flipping on deeply frightened him. And his mother noted that he seemed totally entranced with the concept of ghosts and spirits, poltergeists, all that. And was bothered by the number of similarities in the noises and things going on at their house to the ones that happened in Ghostwatch. Now, I should say Martin did have later it later reported some some sources say it, some sources don't. Uh, he did have a possible a possible learning disability but no source really says it for sure five days after the broadcast police would arrive at the workplaces of martin's parents notifying them that their son had actually committed suicide and in his in his hand uh, he held a note which read if there is ghosts i will now be one and i will always be with you as one this event would lead to an investigation by the Broadcasting Standards Commission, uh, which would decide that the BBC simply hinting that the program was a mockumentary uh, was not enough and that they had to take responsibility for viewers' trust. They don't know for sure that, I mean, I think, they, I think you can pretty much say it's for sure that this program caused it just within the time frame. So sorry to get, sorry to get a little dark there. <laughs> But don't get me wrong, like all of that is traumatic and I agree with you, but that sounds like an awesome experience. I I don't mean to crap on anything that you just said and anything of people's traumas, Uh anything like that, but imagine 1992, like I'm not a believer in ghosts and like a lot of the supernatural, as you know, Mm. but watching this on TV, these are trusted journalists these are kid show personalities Mm -hmm. and i just see them get thrown about and all 
like this guy's doing the news and his voice changed like Lester Holtz, like mm-hmm. going from this is the nightly news and I'm a little deep, right? Short and stuff, right? And well, and, and these are this these are reputable like the most people. Metal thing ever, right? These are reputable people that work at the BBC. It's not only they work with kids. It's not only they're trusted. In the advertise, that was the only place where they called it a drama. Was in this? It's either a magazine or a newspaper. I I think it's a magazine. It's kind of like uh, the old TV guide kind of thing, right? That was the only place they call it a drama. And all the advertisements for this, they just said, this is what's happening. It's a it's a paranormal documentary, live documentary. Um, and we're investigating. I think, and I think that's where it really took it off because, you know, people have, I don't, it used to be more like this where you had like Dan Rather um, and like Walter Cronkite, those trusted broadcasting personalities. So I think when you use trusted broadcasting personalities and you used children stars, mm-hmm. I think that's where it it really threw people off. Like if you threw in paid actors to make to maybe look like anchors, right. that might have kind of helped. I um, I want to know in the minds. I want to know of, why these are, none these are, of them were like. Yeah, these are hey. public figures. These are public figures. Why would you say yes? I mean, unless they thought it was a drama. They but might even not have, then. But then again, they might not have known that that was the only way that they were advertising. Right. Like, I feel like nowadays you would get like a big disclaimer before the show. And like every single time you came up from ad breaks, right. there would be that. You know what they had at the beginning and of this? You the, the smallest little detail at the beginning was the credits. There was credits at the beginning that were on the screen for like half a second, and it said written by Stephen Volk. That's the only disclaimer they had at the beginning of the show. And, you know, not a lot of people are going to catch that, <laughs> especially kids. If they're what imagine being a kid watching this alone. Parents are gone. Parents are asleep oh, or, yeah. you know, it's Halloween. Like I am I'm an older adult man now, but. My parents would have to wedge me in between them right now if I like had no knowledge of this and I'd have to sleep like in their bed. You can watch this thing online. If you watch it, it is it is it's basically the first like paranormal activity style. Like that's a movie. This is kind of a movie. It actually later on, it got really good critic reviews and user reviews because it's it's well made. It's well made. People were just mad at the time because of but the way it was the presented. But that's the problem. It's well made. <laughs> it was. It's it's filmed on a VHS style camera too. It looks shitty, but in a way that looks real. It looks shittily real. Um. Oh, and so obviously the BBC uh, distanced itself pretty far. Uh, after the aftermath of the broadcast, it has never been aired again in the UK since it came out. There has been a DVD release at the 10-year anniversary, 2002, but that's it. And it was available on oh, Shudder, which is like a B-movie horror streaming oh, service. yeah. Yeah. It, it was available on there. I don't know if it is still, but if you want to check it out, it might be on YouTube. It might be on Shudder. Um, and just, just watch it with, you know, the idea of the mindset at the time. I mean, you didn't have phone, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have things to like talk you know, it's almost a modern day 
War of the Worlds broadcast, 1938. Yeah, because it, it is a trusted figure, especially with BBC newscasters and stuff like that. It's There's a lot of trust that goes into that right. level of journalism. And at that time, you figure Internet's in its infancy. No one's really using it to research facts. There's no wiki. There's no Google right. out there to kind of help people kind of, hey, what's going on here? People are getting their information from newspapers, but that's only if they're subscribed. Right. Um, they're mainly relying on news radio or news, especially, but especially news broadcasts. Yep. This is on free broadcast television to every UK citizen. So was this in like the news's time slot? Yeah. During that time, do you know? Yeah. I think I think even what they did is they marked it down for an hour and they went 90 minutes as part of the as part of the thing. Cuz at one point he even says like we're stretching this for time cuz some crazy shit is happening at the house right now and we're going to jump over there. Kids got a Barry Manilow voice <laughs> voice over there. We need to cut in. Man, he's saying man. he's he's got a manifesto. <laughs> we're tuning in. <laughs> She's singing Copacabana. I don't get it. I guess we should say for any for any interns that don't know about the uh, Orson Welles War of the Worlds broadcast, 1938. Uh, similar situation. There was, if you know the the classic Orson Welles story, War of the Worlds, about aliens coming down, uh, invading Earth. They have disintegration rays, and they, uh, you know, they, they feast the White House. They feast on people's blood, that kind of thing. Well, that was presented. And that kind of led into Mars Attacks, <laughs> right. more modern movies, at, Mars Attacks. But at the time, Day. at the time, that was presented like a live, like an interrupted broadcast of a concert in New York. They interrupted that with breaking news stories of aliens landing, aliens attacking, that kind of thing. But it was presented in that same. This is a news. This is a news broadcast. Not see, but the difference between these two is Orson Welles went on to win Oscars <laughs> and become one of the most respected filmmaking minds right. of a generation. Right. And this is a this is a cult this, this guy is a cult probably piece got a of ton British. of sanctions, fines. <laughs> right. Um and literally has like a BBC broadcasting law named after him. Like British. <laughs> like oh, we can't let what's his name? Uh Stephen Volk. Oh, uh, you Volk that up. <laughs> oh, no. That's a class one Volk. All right. With that being said, I think uh, I think I think it's time to classify this one. All right. What should, what are you going to classify this under? I, 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 I think I think I'm going to go with I'm going to think I'm going to file this this baby under uh, Orson Welles wannabes. Ooh. Yeah. I was I was going to suggest uh, kids with Barry Manilow voices. But Orson Welles wannabes. You know what? We'll Boom. subfile it. We'll subfile it. I'll, I'll grab that clip. Okay. I'll slip that in there. Boys upstairs will like that. Or girls upstairs. Yeah, I feel like we have a lot of Orson Welles wannabes, and we only have a few kids with Barry Manilow voices. You're right. You're right. We'll see what next week brings. Oh, wait, no. I'm thinking of Rod Stewart voices. Sorry. Never mind. That should be good. Oh, you fool. All right. That's uh that's the second case file. Let's uh let's close this vault and head back upstairs. Let's send it up.
Well, Green Horns and Green Popes, you survived your first trek into the vast, unforgiving world that is the unessential. Even though our beloved uh, BBC reporters got dragged out by their uh, nails screaming, and our beloved Popes exploded, all of you survived. And hey, that's actually a new record here. Nah, nah, he, he, he's just joking, but um, quick quick point of clarification. The, the bat sounds that you have been hearing are actual bats. Please make sure your tetanus and your rabies shots... Uh, never... We'll, we'll sort that all out. Um, that being said, um, we lost one back in 2000... Full disclosure, we lost one back in 2015, but I mean... The guy. I want to say it was, was 14. just tempted. I want to say it was fourteen. It was fourteen. Was that when Kenneth, yeah. the intern, just kind of? Ah, uh, he he had a great personality. I mean, I didn't know him. He was only here for a day, but he had that face. Um, he had that great, great, great jacket with Kenneth written on it. Oh no, that was Sarah. That was his girlfriend. That was also an intern. Oh, you're right. How's she doing? She, uh, I think she quit like right after that day for some reason. I, I, it was probably unrelated. I, I, thought, I, I, I thought I saw her at the Christmas party, but all right. He was having his lunch in here. Right, that's right. that's a big note. By the way, no lunch inside the office. You go out. You bring fruit into a fruit bat climate environment biome. You're going to deal with fruit bats. Yeah. yeah. That's just the world we live in. How about that for spooky? Recap. Congrats on your first official day as a dumb intern. You've made your country, your family, and capitalism proud by being unpaid. Bless all of you. Now get the hell out of here and have a dumb day. We'll see you next shift. Bye, everybody.